guys doing today? All right. I don't know if it was mentioned, but uh, was it mentioned? Uh, yesterday's event, we had a, a wonderful turnout. James and Winter renewed their vows. Uh, their friends and family were here. They all thought they came to witness a renewing of vows, but um, we ended up having church. <laughs> he said, preach the gospel, Pastor. I says, all right, preach the gospel. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Huh? Uh, somebody said to me one time, says, you know, Pastor Sal, you know, that one of the things that I, I've noticed about you is you, uh, you always preach the gospel when you get an opportunity to. And I says, you know, I, I'm afraid what will happen if I don't. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, that's, the, that's the platform that the Lord gave us, and we're going to use it as such. And, uh, and uh, I know that people were just blessed and to be here. Uh, everybody, thank you so much for just the pouring out of love. I mean, there was a lot of help, a lot of... Uh, a lot of you that uh, prepared and did, and, you know, it was, it was awesome. It was good to know. Thank you guys for all that. On behalf of the Silva family. Yeah. All right. Let's open up our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to be going over one verse with a bunch of other verses to back it up to kind of go around this. This is a topic that we've gone over several times already. Uh, and uh, I think we go over it every time we go through a book. In Romans, uh, Paul is all about election. This is the doctrine of election. And just to give you a heads up, I know that a lot of people have a hard time with this election, predestination, chosen. And, and so before you run out on me or I lose you anywhere along the line, I, I know it's not something that you, you can grasp or even uh, probably some of you already understand it somehow. I just don't know how it works out. And, and it's, it's difficult sometimes because it's, it's almost incongruent. How does God do that? Why does God do that? And, and how is that able to even happen? Hi. <laughs> Anyways, um, this, this is a doctrine that's very dear to us, and, and we preach it and teach it in such a way. It doesn't mean that just because you don't believe this or understand this um, uh, doesn't mean you cannot be here. Uh, but I'd, I'd just like to share with you on what I understand about what the Bible says about election. And um, we're going to be starting off in uh, Colossians, excuse me, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. And I said Colossians because that's the verse I was looking at here in your outlines. But first of all, in, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you. And I say that we've gone over this a few times because when we went over the book of Colossians just recently that we just finished, the very, you know, in chapter 3, verse 12a, he says, Put on then as God's chosen ones. Uh, in Romans uh, it tells us that for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And as we go through scripture, you'll see a lot of verses that pertain to the foreknowledge, the predestination, the choosing of. And so I want to go over those verses today before we go any further. And uh, uh, because this is this seems to be Paul's theme, but but it's more than just a theme. It's not something that he's trying to convince the people that he's talking to, it was something that was already just assumed. And yeah, we know we're chosen because we didn't want God. We didn't want anything to do with God. We were enemies of God. We were at enmity with him. We, we didn't want anything to do with God. And all of a sudden, it's like my eyes are opened up and I see the light. This is where the expression comes from. And, and I saw the light and I'm able to see, uh, one of my grandkids back there, uh, I'm able to see the, the, uh, the, the fact that he chose me. 
And so Paul is not trying to make an argument for this case. He is, the argument that he's trying to make is because you are chosen, you cannot lose your salvation. It is firm. It is confirmed. It is absolute. And, and that is the one thing that Paul is trying to get across to the people in Coloss, the people in Galatia, the people in, here in Thessalonica, because people are coming in and trying to say, oh, no, 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 you, you, can't, you can't do that or else you're not saved. Oh, no, no, you, you're not really saved until you do these things. No, Paul is saying, because God chose you and he chose you. And so he goes back and he, he shares this with him. And Jesus has the same uh, effect, Peter as well. And so we're going to go over a few verses on that today. Uh, and, and, and I'm just trying to get a, a grasp and a handle on that. But let's, before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to ask God to humble us and, and to help us to see what it is that, uh, that, uh, that the Bible teaches on this topic. And, and Lord, it, it is very confusing at times for people. We have been conditioned, and, and I have even preached at times, for people to raise their hand and receive Jesus Christ because he's knocking on my door, and I need to open that door. And, and, and there are verses that imply that, that uh, the choice is mine, and, and Father, and it's something that I need to do, and, and I need to respond to. And, and yes, Lord, there are verses that'll, that'll allude to that. However, we cannot ignore the many verses of how it is that you have chosen the election of the people that you call yours and how you've come to die on the cross for those who are yours. And we know, Father, that your grace is sufficient. and It's all we need. The cross is sufficient. Jesus Christ is sufficient. Your word is sufficient. We don't need anything else or any more. So this morning, as we go through this portion of scripture, I pray that you help us to see your word and, uh, and to go from there. So, Father, once again, thank you for all that you do, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen. In, in, first of all, just some of the verses, and we'll have them out here, and I, uh, I hope that you can follow along as well. And if not, you can ask me for the notes, and I'll give them to you later. But first of all, when, we, when Paul says, we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Now, last week, we went over the, uh, I guess, the evidence of salvation, the evidence of how it is. How do I know that I'm saved? Well, in verses 2 and 3, he says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you missed that, that message, I'd like for you to go back and listen to it because those are the three things. Those are three of the things that Paul is indicating that you are chosen by God. He says, I've seen how it is that you, you have this work of faith. Your, your faith is loud and it should follow with works. James said the same thing. You, you, have, you have faith. Let me show you my deeds. Let me show you my works. Faith without deeds, faith without works is dead. And so people are understanding this as, oh, you mean I have to work for my salvation? Why is James saying that I have to work for my salvation or work to show that I'm saved? Why is that when Paul says it's not by works? And he's talking to the people in Ephesus. And James is talking to the church in Jerusalem. And he's talking to the saints. James is trying to make a comparison here saying, look, you're saying you're saved. But you don't have, any much, ev you don't have much evidence. There is no fruit of repentance. 
You're living the same lifestyle that you lived before, but you're saying that you're saved. And he goes on to say, you know, you say you believe in God. Well, you do well because even the demons believe in God. And I want you to know that they shudder. You don't even have the nerve or the audacity or even care to shudder at the fact that you are offending a holy God by your lifestyle. And so James is uh, reprimanding, he's encouraging, he's exhorting the church in Jerusalem. Paul, on the other hand, he's talking to new believers that believe that, you know, this is how you get saved. You got to bring offerings. You got to do this. You got to cut yourself. You have to have uh, tattoos or whatever the case may be. You have to all these things in order to get saved. And Paul says, no, it's not by works. The job, the, the works have been done. Jesus Christ finished that work. Paul is talking to new believers. James is talking to the church. And so they go hand in hand. As a matter of fact, one of the reformers, Martin Luther, had a very hard time with the book of James. He said, I I just wish I could just throw it out. Works, works, works. What's he talking about? Works. Until he understood that's the evidence. That's the evidence. And beloved, you will be held accountable by the church. You should be by other members of of the church, by those that are maturing and growing. We need to hold each other accountable. Because if your faith is not producing the fruit that the Bible talks about, then there's something wrong. And we need to encourage you and help you on how to do that. And so, so when Paul is talking about this, this work, this, this, um, what we do, as a matter of fact, as far as our faith is concerned and our work is concerned, what Paul is talking about is, is this, it has to be done by Jesus Christ. He's the one that's taking care of it. He's done. James says, you need to show this. But let me go on a little bit further. In, in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, Paul says this to the people in Ephesus. And he says to them, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly place and places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world. Now, understand this, beloved, that God has already chosen, marked out, and the word chosen, prohorizo, is the way you mark out or you search out or you look ahead, and this is my property, this is my line, I've set the line right here, and, uh, and this, is, this is mine, this is, and that's the word they would use to mark out a property, a territory, and they would put barriers on, this is mine, God says, this is mine, before the foundations of the world. And, and God already had in mind, in, in his heart, who those will be. And he goes on to say, he chose us that we should be holy and blameless before him. He didn't just choose you because he thought you were cute, because you looked like a little lamb, because you were good. He chose you because he knew that you couldn't choose him. He chose you because he knew that he couldn't, that you would not be willing to submit to the authority of God. And so he chose you to be holy and blameless before him in love and why he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of the glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, God has been electing throughout all history. There's an election of Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, Moses tells the people, and God tells Moses, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be people for his treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say, I didn't choose you because you were many. 
As a matter of fact, there was only two of you. It was only Abraham and Sarah. And that was it. And he says, but I chose you. Just that's it because of who I am, God says. And he says, and this is my will and this is my purpose to show, to show the type of God I am. We'll see this in just a little bit. But he chose Israel as a nation. And there's also the election of uh, vocation. In uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 13, he says, And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from the twelve whom he named apostles. When we talk about being chosen, many people kind of want to go there. Well, God is calling you to a vocation, to a, a specific ministry. He's choosing you to do a specific task. And, and he uses that word as well in this process of the chosen, of the election. But there's also another way that God uses this, and it's the election of salvation. No one, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, when Jesus said that, he wasn't just saying, well, some of you might be able to choose me. You know, some of you might be able to, you know, give up your life and, you know, follow me. Some of you might, no, he says, no one, unless God himself draws you. And we take that very serious when people come to our church. We, we believe that God is drawing you, and he's the only one that can draw you. And, and, and we've always said this, is that if God has called you and he's drawn you here and you're here, then this is where you need to be. And unfortunately, and along the way, a lot of people don't respond to that call or, or can't respond to that call. And then he goes on to say, and I will raise him up on the last day. See, he has chosen us before the foundation of the world. Before any time it began. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 6, verse 37, this is all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. This is a solid statement that Jesus Christ says, you're his. Because God did this from the foundations of the world, you can't lose your salvation. It's not like God says, oh man, I made a mistake. You know, I shouldn't have picked Sal. You know, okay, go on. Get out of here, Sal. You're just, you're just not the person I thought you were going to be. God knows everything. He knows what it is that we're doing. Once again, in Deuteronomy 7, 8, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people, but it is because the Lord loves you. Beloved, get that. God. Love, if you're, if you're chosen, and you'll, you'll understand, you'll see that here just a little bit, the chosen are loved by God. You may not feel loved. You may not want to be loved. You may not care to be loved, you know, but God loves you. And when the moment you understand how much, this is why Paul prayed, oh, I would just, my prayer is that you would know how wide, how deep, how long, how high is the love of God for you. Oh, my prayer for you, beloved, is that you would know this. It would transform your life. It'll change your life. It'll change just one person. It'll change this city if we just understood how much God loves us. And we don't. We haven't grasped it yet. And I'm praying that as we move forward and we continue going, we recognize, you know what? God really loves me and I'm saved. And I'm secure. And it doesn't matter what happens to me in this life because he loves me. He loves me. More on that in just a little bit. Because he loved you and is keeping his oath, the oath that he swore to your fathers. And the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. In 2 Timothy 1.9, he says, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, 
which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Before the ages began. There, is, there are books that were written before, the, before time. And those, those books have names in them. Those of those who God has chosen. And those are the ones that God, in the book of Revelation, he opens up. We'll touch on that in just a little bit. Those, those uh, names that were written in the book of life. But first of all, let's go to Acts 13, 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, because this is not just for the Jews. And many people say, okay, well, that's got to be the chosen, the elect, the Jewish people, those that, that God loves. And, you know, he's marked them out. He's, he's set them aside. And that those are those that are going to be his. But in Acts chapter 13, it says here, when the Gentiles, that's you and me. See, there's Jewish people and everybody else. For the Jews, it's just Jews and everyone else is a Gentile. doesn't matter what nationality or what part of the world you come from, you're considered a Gentile. That's you and me. And for the Jews and the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word. Now listen to this, the word of God, the word of the Lord. The word is the word that gives you faith. Faith comes from hearing and hearing what? The word of God. And when the Gentiles heard the word, they rejoiced, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. You see, when you're appointed, when you're elect, when you're chosen, you will respond in such manner the moment God opens your eyes and boom. And people ask me, so how, how, how does that happen? Well, I'm glad you asked because we're going to be touching on that in just a little bit. In 2 Timothy 2.10, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Paul doesn't know who these elect are, but they're out there. They're, you know, and I, I endure everything I, and I go and I strive and woe to me if I don't preach the gospel because somebody out there has got to listen to the gospel because faith comes from hearing. But didn't God already elect them? Why just not let them come to God? Because he wants to use you. That's why he's given you the honor and the privilege to join him in bringing the lost souls that are out there to salvation. And why? Why should I preach the gospel? Because, well, number two, actually should be number one, because God said so. How's that? God said, go, go and do this. Proclaim the gospel. Do it everywhere you go. Proclaim the gospel. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. We'll be studying this in the next book of Thessalonians. In chapter 2, it says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Because, again, Chose you, God's chosen. And, and these are not things that Paul is trying to convince people of. He's just reminding them, you're chosen. There's an elect out there. There's people that are that are need to hear the gospel, hear the gospel word. And he's chosen us even from before the foundations of the world. And in 1 Peter 1.20, it says here, he, he was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him up from the dead and gave, his, gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. This foreknowledge, this foreknowledge that we're going to talk about here, this foreknowledge that God has is a knowledge that he knows on what's going to happen. He knows the choices you're going to make. And he knows this foreknowledge that he, he understands you, but it also has to do with an intimate relationship. This foreknowing, this knowing beforehand, 
this no of a, a special relationship that a husband has with his wife. As Abraham knew Sarah, of course he knew Sarah, that was his wife. But when Adam knew Eve, she begot Seth. When Abraham knew Sarah, she begot Isaac. And throughout Scripture, this knowing is a very intimate knowing of. And because God had an intimate relationship with you, not only does He know you, but He has a knowing relationship with you before the foundations of the world. That blows my mind. I have to read that over. I have to study that even more. So I have the deeper I get into it, the more I realize, man, that, that just blows my mind. I can't even grasp the infinite mind of God. My little pea brain is just, you know, barely just, wow, how is that guy? He says, don't worry about it. Just continue doing what you're doing. And when you get up here, you'll see. Because right now, I cannot understand it all. But I got to believe what the Bible says. Amen? This knowing in Revelation 13, 8, and all who dwell on the earth will worship the beast. That's what he's talking about. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life. There's this book, and names have been written in it before the foundation of the, li- uh, before the, foundation of the world. And the names of those that are chosen, his elect, those that he's called, those that he's sanctified, those that are set apart, those that he's marked across, he's put in this book. And he's going to open up that book, and he's going to show, okay, this one, this one, this, and he's going to name them all out. And, and some, some people are going to come up and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we perform miracles? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we proclaim you? And it says, you know, depart from me. You're, you're not in the book. I don't know what you were trying to do, but you're not in the book. But, but we tried. We did. We even said Jesus many times. You're not in the book. Again, in uh, Ephesians 1, 4 and 5, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, not my will, his will. He predestined us for adoption. He predestined us because we're not of the lineage of Abraham, but he adopted us. When we went over this portion of scripture here a while back, adoption in the, in the Roman days and, and during, for the Jews as well, it, it was a very difficult task. I mean, a, a task that, that involved many witnesses, many times of buying the son and then giving him back and then buying him again and giving him back. They would do this seven times to say, are you sure you want to do this? There were documents that had to be signed. There had to be witnesses, seven of them, in the event that the father would die, that somebody else would say, yeah, I was there. And, and, and so the process of adoption, kind of like what we have today. It's a, it's a process where you choose the one that you want. And if you know anybody that's ever been adopted or if you've been involved in an adoption agency or at least maybe adopted somebody, you, you'll go there and you'll see all these kids, beautiful children. And you're thinking, oh, my God, you know, can, can I take them all as well? Uh, and then your husband say, no, no, you can't take them all. Or your wife say, no, we can only take one or two. But I, I want them all. Just like God doesn't desire anyone to perish. He wants them all. He wants them all. But he chose one. You choose one or maybe two. And you bring them home. And they become a part of your family. You give them your name. You give them your inheritance. You give them everything. And this poor child didn't really, to be honest with you, deserve it. But he got your love. Now think about this in an infinite amount of, of 
of just multiplying it over and over again and God's love and his sovereign grace and how he chose his chosen, his elect. And once again in Romans 8, 15. Oh, yeah, John 15, 5, it says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Romans 8, 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You can say, Abba, Father. He's your dad. He's your father. You can say that. Now, many people might want to call him father. I, I had a best friend once, and his mom was kind of like my mom. I used to call her mom until my mom heard that I was calling somebody else mom, and I stopped doing that. You know, she had a pretty big chancla, slipper. <laughs> Sorry for those. But, uh, yeah, don't, don't we call anybody else your mom. I'm your mom. <laughs> you know, I remember I was there. In your outlines, I have Romans 8, 29 through 30. Romans 8, 29 through 30 is considered to be the, the chain of salvation. Paul is explaining this again because he, he has just said in Romans 8, 28, for we know that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, right? We know that those who love God, every, those who love God and have been called according to his purpose, what he wants to do in you, we know that everything is going to work out together for good. This verse is misused by saying it doesn't matter what happens because it's going to work out for good. It's all going to work out for good. Don't worry about it because it's all going to work out for good. And in a sense, for a lot of people, it does and sometimes it doesn't. But the, the, the whole theological background behind this is because you are saved, because you are entering into the kingdom of God, that regardless of what may happen in this world, God is using all these events to prepare you for what's to come whether it's to come here in the near future or to come when Jesus Christ returns or re when it comes when you receive, get into heaven, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. Every time Paul uses the word call, it's an effectual calling of salvation. It's the, sal the call of salvation. It's not the call of vocation. Every, almost every, and I say almost every single time that Paul uses the word call in the epistles, it has to do about salvation by being saved. And so for those he foreknew in Romans 8, 29, and this is where we're going to start off at, that we haven't started yet. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The reason you were called, the reason you were saved, the reason that God has marked you out is so that you can become formed to the image of his son. He didn't call you just to save you from going to hell. He didn't call you just to, you know, which is, which is true. He didn't call you so that you can feel good. He didn't call you so that you can be the best. He called you because he wants you to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, this is the process of discipleship that we've been talking about. Parapateo, walk in the spirit. Walk as Jesus Christ. Walk worthy of the calling that you have received from Christ. We've been talking about this throughout the, the book of, of, of Philippians, actually Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, uh, well, Galatians, as a matter of fact. I mean, we've been talking about walking in the Spirit, walking, walking, walking. Walk by the Spirit so you, don't, uh, so you don't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You walk by the Spirit. You walk by the Spirit. 
And this is walking closer and becoming more like Jesus Christ. That's why God saved you. And plus everything else that comes with it as well. But God has saved us to be conformed to the image of God. Now, these five pearls, I guess you would say, are, 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 are links, are, are, is what we call the chain of salvation. I call it the golden chain of salvation because this is how Paul is explaining you're saved. And I want you to know that nothing in this world, regardless of the persecution that's coming, because these people were being persecuted. Things were just being taken away from them. They were just being harassed because they believed in this Savior, Jesus Christ. And the Jewish people didn't want anything to do with that. The church went up against them, the known church at that time. And from that time up to today, the church has been under attack. And this message here is more relevant today than at any other time. Because our church, and I mean not North Park, but the church in general, the universal church, the church of God himself, that Jesus Christ is the body, it is being invaded by so many different philosophies and outside sources and in being... Uh, false doctrines, doctrines of demons that is being proclaimed and preached and, and developed within the church. And you have to know that there is a deception going on. The very first thing Jesus says before, you know, when they ask him, Lord, what's going to be the sign of your coming? And we always gravitate toward the earthquakes, the wars, the rumors of war, pestilence. We always gravitate towards those huge, ugly things that are happening in the world. But the very first thing Jesus says, do not be deceived. Don't be deceived. That's the first thing he says, because there's a deception. There's going to be a deception. We'll see that more. We'll see that here in 1 Thessalonians, but more so in 2 Thessalonians of this deception, of this blinding of the eyes, of what seems to be infiltrating the church. And so this is, I believe, key and necessary to know that you are saved. Now, the predestination part, and you're still trying to put, wrap your mind around it, it's okay. I mean, God's going to work that through in your life in one way or another, I believe, when you start to see what God has been doing. Number one, for those whom God loves, He foreknew. For those whom God loved, He foreknew. He knew them from the very beginning. And it's essential to realize that these five links in the chain of God's saving work, they're unbreakable. You just can't have one or the other. You can't go to the middle. You can't start at the end and go backwards. It starts with foreknowledge. And as I said earlier, this foreknowledge that God has, He foreknows. He knows exactly what you're going to be doing. And Paul here, uh, he's, he's showing the plan of salvation from God's perspective. And, and you know, one of the things about these two verses that a lot of people say, well, you know, you, you have to have faith in order to get saved. You got to just have that faith. And, and, and faith is talked about a lot, which is what you need, but it has nothing to do with your salvation at this point. What Paul is talking about, no, no, this has already been dealt with. Because you are saved, God gives you the faith. For it is by grace that you're saved through faith. Now look at this. And this faith is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. When you read it in the Greek and how it's structured in the, in the, in, in the sentence, salvation is not, by, is not by works, number one, okay? but it is by faith. And that faith that you have to have has to come from God. It comes from God Himself. And He gives it to you the moment that you open your eyes because you're going to need something to realize, whoa, I don't understand this, but, but I have to accept it in faith because it is impossible to please God without faith because He's the one that's going to give it to you. And so when, when we're talking about these two verses, the chain of salvation, 
Faith is not even an issue here at this point. He's not telling you to have faith that this is going to happen, to have faith that uh, you're going to get saved. He's not asking you to come forward and have faith and raise your hand. He's saying this is just a matter of fact. Not making an argument for it, not trying to convince people of it. This is how it works, Paul says. He says, for those he foreknew. He says, and, and it's unbiblical and illogical to argue the truth that the Lord simply just looked way out ahead of time. And this is how people look at this. That, you know, God knows everything. He looks way up ahead of time and he sees everybody that's going to make a choice for him. And then from that point, what he says is that that's where God chose them. Okay, because I know that James and Sal and, you know, I know that uh, everyone here, you know, Richard and, you know, there's two Richards here, by the way. Uh, and so it, it's, and, and, okay, he's going to make a decision, and so therefore I'm going to predestine him. You know, it's not biblical. That's not the way it works. That's still putting the, I guess, most of the, or all of the decision upon you. See, the, 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 point, of, the point that I think most people are trying to make from this standpoint is that God is sovereign. And if God has already chosen you, then you can't choose him. We can't choose him because we're at enmity with him. Look at the rest of this, uh, the, the, portion, the rest of the portion, these verses that are coming up here. Uh, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved. Before I became a believer, before God woke me up, I didn't want anything to do with God. You might say, well, that's not true of me. I, I want everything to do with God. I mean, since I was a little kid, that's all I wanted to do was be a part of God's family, you know. And, and I think a lot of people say, well, you know, there's people that are searching and they want to be a part of God. But, you know, somehow they just can't connect. And the, the truth of the matter is, is that every one of us, if I'm reading this correctly, which I believe I am, which is not just me, for while we were enemies, I was an enemy of God. I didn't like God. I, I wanted God's benefits, of course. I wanted to be blessed. I wanted him to answer my questions. I wanted him to answer my prayers. You know, especially when the, the, the you know, was really, really hard, when it was really just scorching hot. And I, and I wanted to get out of this mess. I even, while in locked up, I'd even prayed, Lord, if you just get me out of this, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And uh, thank you, Lord, but I'll see you next time. And it was, it was that type of a response that people have. They just want the benefit of God. They really do. We are enemies of God. Look at this next verse in Romans 8, 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh, that's us, that were prior to, uh, prior to being saved, our mind was set on the flesh. I wanted to do what the flesh wanted. And I didn't care what anybody else thought. I didn't care who I hurt, who I burned, as long as my flesh, my desire was met. See, and while the mind is set on the flesh, it is hostile to God. It hates God. My flesh hated God, didn't want anything to do with God. People would tell me about God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait a minute, I need a prayer answered right now. You know, God answered, God didn't answer, whatever the case may be. But we are, by nature, by sinful nature, enemies of God, and we're hostile toward God. Look at Ephesians 2, 3. Among whom we all once lived in passions of our flesh, carrying the, the desires of our body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I missed verse 1. You were dead in your trespasses. You were dead in your trespasses, Ephesians 2.1. Each one of us were dead, 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 dead. A dead person cannot make 
a decision. You know, if, if, a, if an EMT comes out because I've had a heart attack or somebody has had a heart attack and he's laying there and, and, and he's, he's just gone into cardiac arrest. And, and, and so the, the person is laying there and the EMT pulls out the paddles. He's getting ready to shock and says, well, let me ask you something. Would you like to receive these shocks? Would, would you like to, to re- hold on, no, he hasn't responded yet. I don't know if I should do this yet. Or he can't even say, give me the therapy that I need. No, that person is dead. And a spiritually dead person will not respond to God, cannot respond to God, does not respond to God. You have to be made alive. You were spiritually dead in your trespasses, in your sin, and you were hostile towards God. You were an enemy of God, and like everyone else, we were under God's wrath. And something supernatural has to happen. Now, the way I've heard this before, God loves you. He sees you out in the middle of the ocean and you're sinking and you're going down once and you're going down twice and you're going down for the last time. And finally, somebody throws you a life preserver and you are now able to reach out and grab that life preserver. Please grab that life preserver now because you are needing a savior. And the way it, the way it comes out is that you are the one making that decision. But that's not the way God works. God saw you go down all the way to the bottom and you're dead in the bottom of the ocean. And he dove in and grabbed you and breathed the breath of life into your nostrils. That's how it works. And and the only way that I could ever respond to God is if he woke me up. Talk about being woke. (laughs) The only way you can respond is if God wakes you up. He wakes you up. You are born again, and then you receive the faith. You are born again, and then you receive salvation. And He foreknew you. The natural person, 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. They're foolishness. It's just like dumb. I mean, you've heard people tell you that before. Do you really believe that stuff? You believe everything the Bible says? That's just dumb. You know, I can't, I can't believe all that. Well, you can't. You know why? Because you're a natural person. You're living in the flesh. And there's, there's foolishness. It's foolishness to me. And, and, and what a lot of people say is that, you know, I, I can't understand that. So, well, because the Spirit is not in you. I read the Bible, and, you know, I don't get nothing out of it. Well, are you in the Spirit? Has God elected you? And, and here's, here's what Jesus would say. While he was preaching in John chapter 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. We, we brought that one up a little while ago. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And in John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, this is key, because we use John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What about that verse, Pastor Sal? What about those that whosoever believe? I mean, that's what the Bible says. Well, before you can get to John chapter 3, you have to look at John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him. Well, you see right there, I can receive him. Yeah, but hold on. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. Well, I believe in his name, but the demons believe as well. But to all who did receive him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He is the one that gave the right, who were born not of blood, 
In other words, this is not something that you inherited. Just because your mama was a Christian, your grandma was a Christian, and they went to church, and, you know, that doesn't make you a Christian. You didn't inherit this. Just because you're born in the USA, just because you, you can't just get it because you're here. This is not because of you were born into it, nor by blood, nor, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. You are made children of God, not by your will, not by your flesh, but of God. You can't do this. You can't do this. You weren't born into it. You don't have the bloodline for it. You can't muster up enough energy to do this or enough faith. You don't have enough willpower to become saved. This is why Paul keeps saying, you're chosen. You're chosen. You're the one. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. He knows who are his. And again, this is something that has been known from the very beginning. This is something that according to God, in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, God knows who are his, just like he knew exactly what was going to happen to Jesus Christ. This Jesus, Peter is preaching, delivered up according to the definite plan, the foreknowledge, the foreknowledge according to the definite plan of God and the foreknowledge of God. You crucified him. This is not just knowing, but this is knowing. Not only knowing that he had a relationship with him, but God foreknew these things, and he knows these things. And this is the, these are the words that he says, that I knew Jesus Christ. I knew him from the beginning. I had this intimate relationship with him. I, he has an intimate relationship with us before the foundations of the world. This is why in Matthew chapter 7, I quoted this a little while ago, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. It's not that he doesn't know who they are. He knows you by name. He knows every hair on your head. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about what's going on in your life, what's gone on in your past, what's going to happen in your future. Yet, when these people come to Jesus Christ, he's going to say, well, who are you? He's not going to say that. I didn't. No, no, I didn't have that relationship. You didn't have that relationship with me. You didn't have that relationship with me. I never knew you. Depart from me. And here's the ugly part. You workers of lawlessness. You workers of lawlessness. Number two, those he loves, he predestines. Those he loves, he predestines. He also predestined to be, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many. God's plan of redemption moves from he knows you and he predestines you. Because he knows you, he's had this intimate relationship with you, now he's going to predestine you. And he wants to predestine you because he wants you to become conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And this is not something that you can choose ahead of time. Prohorizo means literally to mark out, as I said, a point or to determine beforehand. In Acts chapter 2, verse 23 again, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This is something that he did in Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, even as he chose us before him in the foundations of the world. From the very beginning, this is what he was doing and continues to do. In, in Ephesians 1, 7, and 9, and, and verse 11, excuse me, let's go to Ephesians 1, 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him 
who works all things according to the counsel of His will. He has a counsel. He has an ability. He has a will of being able to put things together, and this is what He's already done. He's predestined, proporizo, marked out. This is who predetermined from the very beginning. Those two words, pre and destined, there's a destination, there's a destiny, there's something that is to take place, and it takes place beforehand. One of the things that I'd like for you to see in Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30, is that every one of these verbs are past tense. Okay, he called, he predestined, he justified, okay, and glorified. All of these are, are, are in past tense. Uh, those he marked out, he called. Number three, those he predestined, he also called. And in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, once again, Paul says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching to them? The called, there's a, there's a calling, there's an overall calling that God has on everyone. And, and He calls those to hear the gospel message. Yesterday, we were, I was privileged to share the gospel message with the family and friends of James and Winter. And that went out. Now that calling, in that calling, there is a specific call to salvation. There is a call that we have that we are mandated, because we don't know who those people are that are elect. We don't know who those are that God has marked out. But we have to proclaim the gospel. Not because we're going to save them. God's going to save them. And if He's going to do it, why do it? And, and that's one of the mis misunderstandings of predestination. Why evangelize? If God's going to do it all. Why, how come He just didn't make a lot of people that were already saved? Why is He making all these bad people? Why did He do that? Nowhere in the Bible does it teach that He predestines some to go to heaven and He predestines others to go to hell. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach that. One of the things that happens, it's another mis misunderstanding. One is that if they're already saved and they're already called, why do I have to go out? Number one, because like I said, God said so. Number two, it's a privilege. It's an honor to work alongside what God is doing. He wants to use you. The second thing is, you know, that, well, if they're not predestined to go to heaven, then God must have predestined them to go to hell. He made them just for that. That's called pre double predestination, and that's not the way it works. God doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say anywhere that that's the way it works. He still holds man accountable. Now, I know that it makes sense. Well, if this is A, then B is natural. It, it makes sense in our life, in our mind, if, if that's the way it happens. But the Bible doesn't teach that. If you're not, if you're not responding to the call, it's on, the, it's on human nature. It's on you. And, and there's a lot of things that we don't understand about the Bible. Like the Trinity, I accept it by faith. How do, I, how do I accept that God is Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? How do I accept, and how is it that I understand that Jesus Christ is God and He's also man? Then, you know, I, I don't quite grasp it all, but I accept it by faith. He's, he's God, He's all God, and He's all man. He's not half and half. He's all God, He's all man. And so, how is it that this makes sense? And, and to, to be honest with you, sometimes you accept it by faith. And, and those that end up not being chosen by God, they're, they're held accountable for it. I don't understand how that's going to happen, but I trust that God has it all figured out, and therefore I don't need to worry about it as much as I, I need to, except to explain to you that no one can come to me, Jesus Christ said, no one. To those in Rome, 
in, in Romans 1.7, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, those are the, the called out ones, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And in Romans 9.11, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of Him who calls. What about those that haven't been born yet? Paul answers that question. Number four, those he saved, he justified. Those he saved, he justified. Justification is basically this. Thank you. <laughs> Say it again. Just if I'd never sinned. What God does is he makes you just in front of God. He justifies you. He says, you, you know, there, there are a lot of things that you can probably put down for Sal in his life and the things that he's done. And you know what? It's by all means, because of the law, that he should die. He should die because he did all these things. You know, he lied at least once today. You know, I mean, no, I didn't. But uh, well, I don't know. Maybe I did. Uh, it, it, he's, he's done these things. You know, I mean, these are, here's the list. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Jesus Christ came up and says, no, but, but I justified him. I'm making him just because of what I did on the cross. And the accuser is going to try to accuse me all he wants. But because I know that I cannot lose my salvation, I've been justified before God, and therefore through Jesus Christ and the blood on the cross, therefore I can't lose that. And what Paul says here is, is look, I want you to know something. I want you to see something. Those he foreknew, he called. Excuse me. Those he foreknew, he predestined. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified is the next one, number five, he glorified. He glorified. Glorification is what happens when we end up in heaven. When Jesus had resurrected from the dead and the women came to the tomb, Jesus says, oh, no, don't, don't grab hold of me yet because I have not yet been glorified. His resurrected body was up, and he was, he was shown to the people, but yet he had, not been, he had not been glorified. There is something about the nature of glorification. We have the same people, the same personality, but we're, we're a different body. Jesus had the same personality, the same look, the same, but it was different. It was hidden from the two men that were going to Emmaus. It was hidden from those that could not recognize him. And there is something that is going to take place within the resurrected body that we are going to be glorified. Now, the interesting point that I want to point out here is that Paul is talking about this in the past tense. This has already happened. This has already been taken, taken care of because it happened before the foundations of the world. And it's going to you know, eventually make, its way, make itself known at the end of time or when we end up in heaven. Paul is saying, you... When you're chosen, when you're elect, when you're saved, when your life has been transformed and you've repented, you stepped into eternity. That means that right now, if you're elect, you're chosen. If you're saved, you're living in eternity right now. Let that sink in for a little bit. How am I living in eternity? You are. Because when you get to heaven, you're going to be able to see everything from beginning to end. And you're already there. The only problem is that this flesh, this body, 
that Paul says, oh, how I'd long to be with the Lord, you know, absent from the body so I can be with the Lord, but, but I need to be present with you, for you. But I'd love to be right now because I cannot see clearly. I see dimly. That's through a glass or through a mirror dimly. I can't see the full picture, but I know. I know that it's there. And our flesh cannot show us. We cannot see the glorification of the risen Lord as of yet. The Bible says that if we see God, we would die. We cannot see the glorification of Jesus Christ because of his glory. We're not glorified yet. We're still flesh. But one day, we're going to step across this boundary and we're going to realize, I've always been here. I've always been here. See, what Paul is getting across here is you cannot lose your salvation because God started it. He's the one that He knew you. He predestined you. He called you. He, uh, he's, he's justified you. And now He's glorified you. And because it's all been taken care of, all you need to do is be obedient to the rest of the word. Because the obedience, work of love, labor of love, uh, work of love, and, and the per- perseverance of your faith. Love, hope, faith. Those are the things that should show and will show your security, the evidence of your salvation. The things that the Bible talks about and the things that I used to belong to are no longer part of me, but it's what the Word is showing me on how to live my life. And we live this together. We walk together. We strive together. Let me ask you to stand. As I mentioned from the very beginning, it's very hard, I guess, to grasp this, even though it's, it's just already assumed. Paul would say, well, yeah, we all know this already. This is, this is just what God has done. He elects people. And, and we're okay with saying, well, yeah, the Jews are God's elect. We're okay to say that. Yeah, we, we're okay with saying, yeah, God is sovereign. He does whatever He wants. He's in total control. You know, God, God is sovereign and he's in total control and he's chosen the Jews. And, you know, there's, there's just, you know, oh, no, no, but, but, but I got to choose God. But I, it's got to be me. And the one thing that I know that was my problem and is, is pride. Pride. I just want to be the one in control. That's what brought down Adam and Eve. God says, you know, the moment that you eat from that fruit, you're going to know just like God. And he doesn't want you to know. Really? Well, I want to know. Pride, that's, that's the thing that brought down Satan. It was pride. When, when God was talking to him, he says, you know, you really think you have it all together, don't you? But you don't. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly. In the face, in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. The five self-centered I wills. That was Satan's problem. I'm going to do this. I will do this. I have free will. 
And I have, but since I have free will, then I'm going to make that decision. God can't make that decision for me. Is basically what we're saying. And, and I think one of the reasons why most of us had a hard time with it from the very beginning is because that's the way it was preached to us. That's the way it was preached to us. Oh, I know, I made you stand. But we're not even quite done yet. Because I wanted you to hear this. One of the verses that are used for evangelism is the verse out of Revelation chapter 3. Jesus is talking to the church in Laodicea. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but, but he says, uh, you know, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I, ha- I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves. The shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to, your, to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Sound familiar? If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. And we use this verse, you know, sinner, Jesus Christ is knocking at your door. As a matter of fact, if you look at the picture painted of Jesus Christ standing by the door, you look at it, he's got this lantern and he's outside and there's a party going on inside and he can't get in because there's no door handle on the door, if you noticed. He can't open the door. See, he's knocking. He wants to come into your heart. Poor Jesus. He can't do that. Poor Jesus. Come on, please, please open your heart. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that except for here. But he's talking about a wayward church that's out of fellowship. And with the things that they're doing, Jesus is saying, you know what? I want to come in. You guys are lukewarm. I want to come in and fellowship with you. I want to sup with you and you with me has nothing to do with salvation. And, and I think many of the time, maybe the verse that we should use is that as many as were appointed to be saved, receive the word. Many of the, as many of the Gentiles, why don't we use that one? Lydia, she too, she was appointed to be saved and she was saved. Nowhere in scripture does it say, raise your hand, come forward, let me pray for you. Let me sign, okay, you're born again. Just like that. The command is to repent. That's the evidence of salvation. You repent. Many of you have repented. Many of you have already, you know, I, I've done that. And, and, and this is kind of a, a, the, the, the one deciding factor for some people. I don't believe that. I, you know, just know that if you've repented and you're, you're, it, the evidence is what we talked about a little while ago, plus your desire to serve God, your desire to want to know more about God, your desire to, to get closer to God. And, and the, the ugly truth about getting close to God is like getting up close to one of those magnified mirrors and you go, oh my God, look at all those blackheads, look at all that, you know, wrinkles, look at all those, look at all, man, I, I don't want to see that. Getting into God's word, getting close to God, you see the defectiveness of your body, of your life, of your soul. God 
peers and pierces your heart with his word that's a double-edged sword and he cuts deep down inside and it hurts and you say god be merciful to me i'm a sinner please have mercy on me repentance calls for mercy and you change your life not because you want to be a good person you change your life because god has made you just He's glorified you because he knew you. He called, he predestined you. He called you. He justified you. And now he's glorified you. And that's why we worship. That's why we come to church. Because of my salvation, I desire to be. That's an evidence. You desire to be with the saints. You want to grow with the saints. You want to grow more with God. You want to know more about Him. And, and the more that you desire to do so, you're, it just continues to grow. And adversity would come, and you're going to stand there and say, you know what, I know that I'm saved because God saved me. He chose me. And that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Why is the question that I have. Why He would save me, that I don't know. I'll have to ask you, Father, when I get to heaven. And I ask you, Lord, right now for each one of us to come to at least an understanding, a concept, a knowing that we are saved. And the rest of it, Lord, I know you will work it out. But first and foremost, you've called us. You've saved us. And because we are saved, we want to grow in you and we want to develop in you. My desire is to serve you and to follow you every day of my life. And I pray that we can raise people up from this community, from this city, from this nation that will do the same. That would want to serve you and to, and to express how much you love us and know how much, know the height, the depth, the width, the length. To know that love. Lord, if we had one, two, three people, a church, a small church, that would just express that love that you have for us. I know we can turn this world upside down. I thank you for the many people, the many uh, saints that are throughout the world that have, have done so in their lives and in their communities and in, their, in, in all that they do, Father. And I thank you for that. Help us to be a model church like the people in Thessalonica. So, Father, we thank you once again for this time that we've been able to share this word, your word, with, with, those, with those of us. And thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy. And thank you, Father, for what you do. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says... Amen and amen. All right, may the Lord be with you. We're going to stick around for a moment here. I'll be up here for a moment if you'd like to come up and have a word of prayer. But otherwise, stick around and have some fellow shaping.